This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about Friday, a 1982 science fiction novel by Robert A. Heinlein. Um, I was mentioning to somebody on Twitter this week that this is maybe the last readable Heinlein <laughs> novel. It's one of his last novels anyways, I think. But uh, it's – I, I – I, I'm going to get a cramp or some sort of damage in my neck from all the head shaking I was doing. <laughs> so many scenes where I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. That, I think yeah. this has to be one of the most awkward books I've ever read. <laughs> Me too. He's a, kind of an awkward guy. Yeah. <laughs> a, a gawky, awkward guy. I, I seriously think that if he was still alive today, he would be definitely up for some transgender uh, stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah? I do. Uh, um, in that article, I, I, I tweeted you guys. I don't know if everybody got a chance to see it this morning. Uh, the New York Times article. Yeah. Um, there was a P, uh, another mention of something that I had forgotten. Um, so I, I actually wanted to... Uh, for a long time to do time enough for, not time enough for love no 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 um <laughs> i will fear no evil which is uh, a little earlier than this and it's about an old man who uh gets in a car accident or no he's dying or something and his his secretary gets in a car accident where it just happens to damage her brain and so uh damage her body not her brain no, no, it damages her brain because oh, she... Oh, that's right, damages her brain, right, so he puts the, she, he puts the brain They in. literally take his brain and put it in her body. Oh. <laughs> and, and so he's, he's an old man in a young woman's body. And at the end of the novel, uh, he's a heterosexual woman. <laughs> um, wow. Which is pretty funny because he was a heterosexual man at the beginning of the novel. Huh. Um, mm. And uh, Wait, who wrote just, this one? Sorry, that's timeline. Oh, the timeline as well. Seventy yeah. seventy one, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's very it's it's in the seventies, and it's it's also readable. I think. Um, and I don't think it's as beloved. Like I think a lot of people like Friday, um, and there are reasons to like it. But I think there's also a lot of reasons to shake your head at it. But uh, this is not his only book where he does that. So uh, there was a movie this I think last year or the year before. Uh, called Predestination. Yeah. Is that what it was called? That's based on a Heinlein story called All You Zombies, mm -hmm. which is about a guy who gives birth to himself uh, after having a sex change and time travel. Um. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah, basically, yeah, he's the only real thing in the universe because he creates himself. Everything else is really a solipsistic kind of construct around him. Yeah. What's, what's it called? I, I think I read it. The short story is called All You Zombies, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I know where I came from, but where did All You Zombies come from? Yeah. That's the line in the story. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cute little time travel. I mean, he's good at time travel anyways. But the important part is there's another example of a character doing a sex change. Mm. Here, it isn't so much a sex change as it is the main character telling the story is Heinlein yeah. uh, as a woman. <laughs> yeah. The, um, yeah. um, um, 
Andrew Libby in his uh, future history novels, eventually in one of the later Heinleins, I, I think it's Kathy Walks to Walls, undergoes a sex change and becomes Elizabeth. So, right. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's again not the only uh, book where, where this happens. I, I also wanted to point out to that article that reminded me that in one of his best novels, Heinlein's best novels, Moon is a Harsh Mistress, the main character uh, arguably is Mike, the computer. Yeah. Who, when talking to females, is not Mike. He's Michelle. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot that. Yeah, I had completely forgotten that. And uh, he's he has another one. Pod Kane of Mars is, is a female character. And that article I tweeted to you guys is a very good analysis of why Heinlein isn't... Uh, he's kind of like the man... <laughs> who really believes in women in science fiction. Um, and yet in reading this one, oh my God. Oh my God. So many times I'm like, I cannot believe this. And I, I, I think when I read this book, probably 1991, is spring of 1991, mm-hmm. I, I believe I was doing the same thing. I'd been doing that forever with Heinlein. You shake your head. <laughs> so was this everyone's... Um, had anyone else read it before as well? or? Yeah, I, I read it back in the 80s. No, I had never read it. Okay, yeah, I was curious about that. So for, yeah. the, for you guys that have that read it before, was it a different experience? Yes. <laughs> it was. It was a little bit, but not the... Not the... Um, he's... A, I don't know. I think it's not even about the... The the rape stuff. I mean, that's uh-huh. there for sure. But he does that in every book in a certain sense. He has these characters who just defy human emotion and human reality. And they're just like, they're aliens, basically, because they don't deal with reality in the way that anybody I've met ever has. Right. Mm-hmm. The novel tries to, to suggest that. Well, I mean, Friday is... Right is made of human DNA. She was, she was uh, born and raised for most of the time in a crash. In in very many sense, of course, her reactions aren't human. And the novel kind of tries to show, yeah, that's why she acts the way she is because she, she may have human DNA, but she isn't human. But she wants to be human. It's 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 the Pinocchio story in very many, in yep. a very yeah. real sense. But I don't think Highline quite carries off. And not to mention. It's just like to go there. It's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm okay from all the raping and crap that happened to me when I was under captivity. Really, it feels really, really weird now. Oh. When when I first read this back in the day, I I mostly focused on the world building because yeah, and oh. and I kind of like elided over the more questionable aspects. And this time, yeah, they the the questionable aspects. Hit me by hit me with the head by a two by four. Like, oh crap! <laughs> you can't be serious. And I, I didn't quite remember that being that much sex in this book. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I apparently not yeah, just sex, but all, like out. odd sex. Yeah, yeah. Odd sex. Say that again, Marissa. Oh, I was saying not just sex, but just kind of strange sex, like weird attitudes in the. Oh uh, well, I, I mean, some of it is is very nice. Okay, like. He's he's got uh, I mean except for the there was a little anti male homosexuality in there mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. tiny sliver or whiff 
but really, he really likes lesbians. <laughs> there's no question yeah. about that. Yeah, um, they're very friendly. Uh, to, uh, there's a lot of friendly attitudes towards lesbianism in this book. Um, and then and there's no suggestion here of any male homosexuality at all as far. Oh no, no, there, there's a, there's a. Like, she said she got a whiff of a couple of guys. Right, right, but right, but yeah, but that's so as we don't, we don't see any of that sex on screen. I mean, that's right. Yeah, I That's mean, funny. it's never suggested, like, say, Ian Freddie ever get it on. <laughs> no. Well, they, I mean, they would have had there not been that that whole um, Red Tuesday, whatever it was. They were all in the bed. They were all four in the big bed. So yeah. Red Thursday. Yeah. yeah. Red Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the weird sex part that I mean is more just um, – I get that she was an artificial person, but it often felt like all the other humans were as well. Like yes. there was, there was no yeah. talking or connection That's or exactly. foreplay. They just all walk up to each other and they're like, "Hey, hey, let's have sex!" Like immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so true, and I mean that's, uh, I mean ultimately, this is a book that has a rape at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then at the end she's married to her rapist. Yep, mm-hmm. and. I, I forgot. I had that blocked that out from the. I, I forgot. It's like, oh my I god! Forgot. It's like saying, wait, but she's gonna wind up with this guy. I don't remember that. Oh god, she does wind up with this guy. How? Yeah. Now, I had to replay that. I was like going back and like replaying. Like, did that just? This, are we sure? Is that the same guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he sure? starts calling her Miss Friday, and that makes it all better. <laughs> you know, there's this book. I mean, one of the things you somebody said in maybe in that review was that, uh, yeah, it doesn't. It needs an editor or it needs like he, he just basically lost track of plotting and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but he does put that scene in the beginning where the rapist is kind to her, right? Where he 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 let me pee, therefore I'm gonna yeah, therefore I'm not gonna murder him. Yeah. I'm gonna murder all the other ones. <laughs> he's a nice he's rapist. He's yeah, and that's the. I mean, the thing is, is ultimately, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking, I, I, I remember he was weird at the time, you know, he was always weird, Heinlein, but he was particularly weird in his sort of later years, the sex stuff was a bit more out in the open in his junior, his uh, teen books, you know, there's one set on Mars where everybody lives in a in a dome and when they go outside they wear suits and never take them off but in indoors everybody's naked all the time <laughs> um in the family you know um and that's okay um you know he so kept it limited right a little bit for some reason they had they kept the domes really hot inside that's why they had to be <laughs> naked okay it makes sense it's juvenile book it's okay we there were, there's there's no sex going but as soon as he gets out of that and he starts doing stranger in a strange land everything's off you know, all bets are off and everything goes crazy. But in reading it this time, I was thinking like, yeah, rape is really terrible. It's really, really terrible. Uh, but what do you do about it, right? We throw people in prison. That seems ris- reasonable to me. As a punishment slash deterrent, that sounds reasonable. Do we execute them? That seems really harsh, but... Friday considers killing him. Right. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that while those horrible Heinlein thoughts are happening on 
on the page. I don't know. I don't know what to think about <laughs> other than he was a weird dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I I was wondering. I was thinking about her being growing up in the crash, and originally wasn't. Didn't they say she had a lot of doxy training? Yep. Yes. So yeah, so presumably, yeah. possibly, these people that are, and I also. To come back to it later, I have a problem with artificial person here. I think she's more of an an enhanced person. Yeah. But but so if if they're being bred for strength and fitness and and better everything, maybe the, this uh, increased sexuality is being bred into them if they're if they're being bred as as partly sex, um, sex comfort choice. people. Yeah. Yeah. And and so maybe that's how. I'm just like, I'm not agreeing with it, but maybe that's how he's justifying this whole rape thing. Cause later on, she says, when she's talking about Ian, she says, uh, he didn't, there was no slightest attempt to seduce me, even though I had already raped symbolically my host the night before. Right. Like that's how she's using the word herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the novel doesn't explicitly say, Oh yeah. Since I was, I was trained this way. I was bred this way. And therefore, that's that's why the way I am because then at the end we get the whole revelation of uh, how basically Bo- uh, Doctor Baldwin engineered her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which I, makes the whole weirder. It just makes it weirder. Yes, her yeah, it's like, oh, so, so she's got raised doxy training. What? Wait, what? Yeah, I'm sorry, but I interrupt. I interrupted you, uh, Marissa. Um, I thought that. I, f- I feel like there was like a line where she said somewhere specifically that she wasn't trained in that, but sometimes other artificial people. She had basic. She, she didn't basic. have oh. that, yeah. right? Oh, okay. She had she had her certificate, but not her. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which yeah, which is all sorts of. Uh, so I got a slightly different question, jumping off subjects. So have any of you? I'm gonna. Get, oh, maybe Jesse's the only person who possibly could have. Have any of you read golf? No. No. A long time yeah, ago. Golf is the story that Baldwin references about the uh, about his friends who uh, stopped the plot and that the monument on the moon. Right. So that's one of his first uh, stories. So so reference. so listeners, I'm going to spoil golf for you. My up my up. Remember it. What's that? I don't remember it. Uh, okay, I, I remember enough of you will um, talk about. It. So golf basically involves. Uh, this guy getting recruited into this uh, group of supermen who basically try to mm. keep the world on track. Um, he meets uh, Baldwin in prison and in, in a prison, not the prison, but the prison, but basically the bad guys holding him. And they basically, it's very weird. They manage to communicate because they know they're being watched by means of a card game that, that they invent. They use this card right. game to invent, to, figure out okay we're simpatico and we should break out together and bold they do baldwin recruits him and uh and he has another female operative they wind up getting married and the two of them go to the moon to i'm getting a little feedback um they, they go to the moon to basically uh stop this stop this plot with this uh weapon of converting uh matter to matter to energy and so it's it's a story about supermen guiding Humanity, because there's references was that it's keeping people from keeping babies from playing with fire, and Mm. it's a very early Heinlein. It's like we know best. It's very paternalistic that way, and we're going to keep humans on track. In some ways, this novel 
decides, okay, I'm going to repudiate what I wrote in 1949 because Baldwin clearly is disenchanted with that group. He's left them. They've all gone to Olympia. And he says, oh, oh yeah, I'm not going to pay your fare if you go there. Mm. So it's like so it's like late Heinlein is decided yeah. to give up what early Heinlein wrote. That's I a find very that, nice analysis. Yeah. I found that extremely fascinating. I didn't remember that from my first read, maybe because I hadn't read golf at the time. <laughs> that makes sense. Very interesting. I, I read this first, uh, like I said, in spring of 1991, very distinctly, I remember, because whenever you're traveling, everything seems uh, new and fresh, right? Mm-hmm. And you can also remember uh, everything is uh, it's like you open up a new journal and everything gets written down as opposed to these days where every day blends into the next, right? Um, so I was traveling around Europe at the time and, you know, spending, I actually bought it in a train station Friday with a big stack of other Heinlein novels. I got a lot of reading done while I was traveling, <laughs> which was kind of sick, but uh, that's sort of how I operate. In any case, um, that's what I remembered most about it i remembered he had this sort of the typical uh, weird sex stuff that heinlein's always into the the uh, in moon a harsh mistress i guess that's not weird sex stuff it's just um it, weird in the social sense mm-hmm. the line marriages and the serial marriages and all that stuff and uh the one that's in here it's funny she she joins one prior to the novel start, uh, and then and then leaves it right, and then makes a new one. <laughs> Almost immediately thereafter. Yeah, and she's really busy weird. doing that the entire uh, you know when she's traveling around North America when she goes to uh, Winnipeg right. That's what she finds there too. This is um, it's like almost. I hesitate to uh, speculate as to what Heinlein was actually doing, but it's almost like Heinlein went to a swingers party and said, let's do this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) um, I don't think that'll work myself. Uh, I don't think that'll work, but um, I like it that in, in the same way that you read Philip K. Dick, you know, it's like, you're seeing a person's mind over time as you read their books. You understand the dude. And yeah, sometimes they're they're doing bad things. Uh, like the book we just finished, Marissa and Paul, we just did one where he's spending time with a 16-year-old um, that he shouldn't be. <laughs> yes. All his wife and kid are at home saying, what the hell are you doing? Why are you bringing this girl home to us? Like that sort of thing. Um, I like that I can see inside of Heinlein's mind, and when he does this basically plotless, meandering travelogue, uh, travelogue mm-hmm. that's also, uh, we find out near the end, a memoir, which he's done before. He's clever. He's a clever writer in certain he, respects. He drops hints to that throughout the, throughout the book. So many coincidences in here. Yeah. It's like... Uh, Marissa, if you were editing this, you would, I, I would, you just have to throw up your hands. Oh yeah, no? some of those are driving me crazy. Like, oh my god! And then they just happen to blah blah, and that's like really, mm-hmm. they just happen to happen. The whole thing <laughs> is driven by coincidence. It was yeah. just stuck together, okay. one to the next to the next, to go from like set piece to set piece 
Really? Mm-hmm. I was surprised that, that that AP guy she met in Bellingham or whatever that she got a note from and felt really bad and cried about um, didn't show up at the end because I was thinking he's got to be on that. Book I, I, I thought mm-hmm. for a second when we meet the meet the guy in uh, on the ship, I thought that was him. It's like, oh, no, it's the rapist. Oh, crap. Yeah, because she smelled. I was like, "Oh, I, I was like, like, oh, it's the guy. Oh, it's the guy from Bellingham." Like, "Oh no, it's the rapist that happens to show up." Right. Oh, crap. Yeah, he's he's the only guy that never comes back. Mm-hmm. I think I think about it, the guy in Bellingham is, yeah, yeah. But we touch on him once and never again because yeah, we we get another touch. Chekhov's gun. <laughs> he is he's one of the many Chekhov's guns that. Uh, are are seated in the story. He turns out to be a red herring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All the other guns go off uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the most uh, convenient times. And uh, does anyone uh, know? I read somewhere that this was first serialized for Playboy, which that I would make so much sense. Yeah, I didn't I didn't double check it, but I was I like, oh, that would that explains a lot. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, as far as I can tell, there's no. There's no serialization. Um, it should have been. Yeah. Um, it's possible that something else by him was serialized for Playboy because he does have a lot of sex stuff. Maybe that's I Will Fear No Evil. Yeah. Or maybe he wrote it with that in mind or something. Or... Yeah. It feels it, like that because it's so um, episodic. and It has a lot of sex in it uh, just for almost sex sake. Uh-huh. Sex sake. It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, I'll tell you what's different, Paul. Uh, you asked earlier on. Uh, somebody asked earlier on, and Paul replied how he felt it was different today. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what was different today. When I read this in 1991, um, there was no World Wide Web. Oh my God, he's got the World Wide Web in here pretty damn well, don't you think? Mm. Ex- except for the fact that there's no ads, no, no. <laughs> No, 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 no Wikipedia wars. I mean, all the information you can get is accurate. He's got the very early. He's got the web from 1997. Before, okay. yeah, before before a lot of loaded crap on there. There's no spyware. There's no. There's not a lot of the. Yeah. There's no. Twi- there's no Twitter flame wars. And uh, yeah, I mean that's actually something that um that is covered by uh, Orson Scott Card, right? Yes. Um. Who he? That's what his whole. Uh, Ender's Game has this amazing part that's basically forums from the 90s, if you guys remember forums. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. Verna Vinci does the same thing in The Fire Upon the Deep. Oh, is that right? I did yep. not know that. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, mean, I mean, his method of interstellar communication in that book is basically uh, Usenet. Usenet oh. uh, forums and, and hmm. threads, yeah. So, uh, just the fact that uh, Friday spends time in front of the computer and uh, reading books from all the great libraries, all scanned online, which is true now. Hathi's yeah. Hathi Trust is something I spend a lot of time on, and it's not 100% accessible. Uh, and and the way Heinlein's internet works is kind of wrong. <laughs> well, he, he has terminals rather than personal computers. Everyone's yeah. yeah, because they talk about, oh yeah, well if I'm on a terminal, won't that uh script your other stuff? She says at one point to uh to Ian. So yeah, it's very much a terminal based computer network rather than individual computers. But there's other things too. I, I think I tweeted you guys really early uh when I started reading it. Um kittens. 
Kittens are a big thing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Highline likes his cats. Always been a big thing. Yeah, but. yeah. Highline likes his cats. So cats are cats in the care and and Friday worrying about cats. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, the author shining <laughs> through. Um, there was uh, also besides kittens, there was um, oh, this is not it wasn't on my list, but. Did you notice how many breakfasts there were in this so novel? So many descriptions yeah. of eating and food, yeah. I was like, damn, this sounds good. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was, I was getting... an early Mozart model. Uh-huh. I was hungry the whole time I was reading all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> and I can explain why that is, by the way. I, I've read enough Heinlein to know the answer to that. Oh. But uh, there was another one besides um, kittens. Um, kittens, weird sex. Uh, and there was another one that's, oh, Triggered. Do you remember Triggered? She kept saying that triggered me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a, trigger that's a, warnings. Yeah, it, it is a little triggering. Um, <laughs> so there's a whole whole bunch of raft of little things. But um, ultimately, I can explain this entire book. Just just say, Jesse, explain this book to Jesse. Jesse, explain this book. Explain this book. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that happens is he travels all over North America. Oh, sorry. She travels all over North America. <laughs> <laughs> she travels to Canada, California, La- Las Vegas, um, uh, also New Zealand. Talk- I think she talks about going to Australia, never does. Um, she phones Australia. Um, uh, oh, credit cards. That was the other thing on the list, right? Mm. Um, I mean, has there ever been a science fiction novel that talked more about credit cards? No, what's <laughs> in your wallet? <laughs> One of the things that happens right at the beginning is, she kills a guy and then takes his diner's club card. <laughs> um, and then she gets uh, a bank bank draft or something from her lottery win. Uh-huh. And then um, gets another gold card or something, right? All that stuff. All explainable. Um, she is talking about wearing um, a piece of clothing. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's from Bora... No, not Bora Bora. It's not Tahiti. It's like a one-piece piece of clothing that both men and women wear uh, covering your uh, lower half, I guess. Anyways, there's a word for it he uses in this book. All of this can be explained. Heinlein went on a cruise. I remember this. Yeah, I remember she, he did. He had, he had a... Didn't he have a, a medical thing during that cruise? I do not remember I, I don't that. remember he had like a TIA during that cruise. What's a TIA? Um... Uh, Basically, basically, not quite a, a stroke, but prior to the show. I, yeah, it's entirely possible. It was a it was a Pacific cruise. Yeah. Um, and he wrote a book about it. Well, it got turned into a book oh. called Grumbles from the Grave, which is a, basically a memoir of his travels through uh, basically the Pacific. Um, and... All of the things that happen on the on the cruise, uh, sorry, the the flight to uh, uh, the seven star systems they're going to are things that happen on cruises, right? Lots of eating, mm-hmm. lots of really good food. Um, and that there's a it is so, cruise ship food. It totally yeah. is. <laughs> ship food. Um, there's uh, movies on board, right? There's there's uh, all the things that happen are very. Uh, cruise-like. And then he even says sitting at the captain's table, right? Um, Heinlein was, by this time, pretty famous, right? In at least 
a certain sense. He's more famous than, you know, the president of a local bank, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a famous or semi-famous dude uh, after being on TV for, uh, you know, the Apollo uh, moon landing, um, you're going to be kind of respected. This is him being respected and, and being rich in a certain sense and getting that opportunity to sort of go places that he... If he had been before, he didn't get to go in in luxury. He went, ah. you know, as a regular uh, ship sailor or officer, mm-hmm. and and then all that stuff about touring the United States, um, you know, going into these weird little places like California where everything's different, right? <laughs> and the government's crazy, and they have uh, uh, different all. That's all just him touring the United States. And it's this is like a travel log as a as a novel. It really felt like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, that ex- I I think that pretty much explains it all. Um he I remember one other thing from that Grumbles from the Grave and I believe it's in this book, I if I'm recalling correctly. Um Long Pig. <laughs> I believe she mentions it or somebody mentions it. Long pig is, of course, human meat. Um, oh, God. <laughs> long pig? The long yeah. pig, yes. <laughs> I, I just want to mention one thing about the stroke again, because I found a uh-huh. reference to it. At the end of 1977, exhausted by the ongoing episode of the blood drives, Robert and Ginny took a vacation to the South Pacific. Early in 1978, they were walking on a beach in Tahiti when he had a transient ischemic attack, a brief blockage of blood to his brain. It could be no. this precursor to a cerebral stroke. So, yeah, I was right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, if your analogy is correct, do you, do you think that means that he did not feel like she's going as a rich bitch, um, but she's not really? And she's rich like, slitch. I slitch. keep correct. Slitch. Oh, my God. Um, but she doesn't feel like she uh, – but she's not. And, she, and she's always talking about how she's really not this person. So mm-hmm. he – now he's this famous author sitting at the captain's table – I'm just I'm just playing psychoanalyst here. Um, yep. Did he perhaps not feel like really like sort of like an imposter like her then? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I, I think you have a point there. I think so. He he. Uh, one of the things I think that's mentioned in here, <laughs> and it's pointed out in that nice uh, article, the New York Times article. Um, uh, Heinlein, Heinlein asserts that the Earth is doomed, <laughs> right? And evidence is because, <laughs> <laughs> right? And um, so they all—that's uh, why all the characters leave Earth. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, but, the, yeah. The, I, when we finish that, I want to talk about that a little more. Well, I'll—I'll I'll let you. Okay, take okay, good, because I might might derail the conversation. The the um. Heinlein apparently, especially in these later novels, seems to be really obsessed with, I guess in the early ones, with the whole idea of the frontier and going to mm-hmm. the frontier. They're in um, Time Enough of Love, which I do not recommend we uh, <laughs> do for the podcast. Just oh. go in there right now. right now. Let us not do that. There is a whole section where he's on an alien planet and they decide for reasons I cannot fathom, we're going to pioneer style go over and t- across the mountains and settle there ma- making you ask questions of why would you do it that way why would you just 
sense of overbias spaceship because you have an advanced society with lots of room and say, well, we're going to act like pioneers and go across pioneer style to pioneer this whole new section of the continent. It's like, wait, why? <laughs> yeah. And, and of course here, the whole, oh yeah, the earth is doomed. So yeah, we have, we have to, uh, go, uh, settle the frontier. It's that, it's a whole frontier hypothesis that we've talked about again and again, Jesse, on this mm-hmm. podcast. The whole, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the Turner hypothesis. Um, and I think part of this novel is a p- part of his wanderings is to, is for Friday to realize and to learn that the earth is crap, even the good places. And so we're going to, uh, so she has to leave. So for example, okay. So we start off, I mean, established in background that she has a loving, happy, Good New Zealand family. Yeah, Anita, Anita is a strong will, but she's happy there. Until, of course, it turns out that her family are all horribly racist. Mm-hmm. Out of the blue, yeah. no kisses. <laughs> she suddenly learns this, like out of nothing. Like, wait, what? Yeah, like it's something you wouldn't notice. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. So, so, then, of course, then we go to uh, Winnipeg and her, her new family to be there, which is all nice and fine until, of course... The events of Red Thursday make British Canada seem like when when the chips are down, we're going to throw out the aliens and we're going to knuckle down and we're going to have law and order, even in peaceful British Canada, which makes, of course, lovely British Canada with her family there to be untenable. So, Hmm. yeah. And, And of course, and then we get a nice tour of. A bunch of the remainders of the U.S. So let's let 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 us list them off, shall we? So we have the mm-hmm. we have the Bear Flag Republic, the California, which is democracy gone wacko. Yeah. We have we have Las Vegas, which is apparently a free state of anything goes as long as you have the gold. And I there's yet yeah, another thing I want to talk about that in a moment. You have the Confederate. You have you have you have the Texas Confederacy, where Texas has gotten all the way to Arkansas. Wait, what? Uh, I'd like to know how that happened. That that, and while Vicksburg seems to be a nice place for artificial persons, yeah, that doesn't seem to be playing there. And then, of course, we have the Chicago Imperium, which also includes Minnesota. Don't think I didn't catch that because they talk about the, the little piece of Minnesota that sits up on the lake in Canada. It's like, so, mm. so Minnesota is part of the Chicago period, which makes me annoyed now that I live in Minnesota. Like, I don't want to live under a, under a, dictator, a dictatorship. Chicago dictatorship. Yeah, yeah, a Chicago dictatorship. Heck no. I, I'm going to get my revolution on now and make Minnesota free. So, yeah, the, the world looks really crappy. And, and, and we, we, we're made to seem that even the best places in the world are dying so that Friday will be will find it in her mind and heart to do what Baldwin suggests and, emig- and get out of Dodge. It's like, you have to leave. Uh, missing from your, your nice uh, tour across North America um, America. is... Well, there's a. I'm sure there's a million things, but one one thing that struck me is it's even on the cover that I originally bought uh, of the paperback. Um, it's everybody's Amish now. <laughs> oh <laughs> yes, yeah. What's with, with all the horses? Well, every every oh, yeah. place you go, New Zealand, Canada, basically everywhere, unless you're a cop, you 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 drive drive draft horses and pick people up at this at the semi-ballistic skyport where basically you're shot by cannon and then land 
uh, on the other side of the world yeah, in about that, two hours. That, yeah, that is a very strange stra- uh, thread of uh, thread of technology. Okay, so we have semi books. We also have the world's best batteries. We have ship stones. Yes, yeah. And, and, and we have draft horses. Like, wait, what? <laughs> One of these things does not match the other two. Mm-hmm. He has a real... Uh, Go, he's kind of like Ayn Rand in a certain sense. Uh, I mean, you, you can feel it in sort of the people who like Ayn Rand also kind of like Heinlein for similar reasons. He's got a s- sort of libertarian streak to him. The the Galt's Gulch approach to uh, the shipstones, right? Yeah. I'm not going to patent this because if I patent this, then in 17 years or whatever, everyone will have it. This way, I just make it and then I own the universe. It sounds all great uh, when he first explains it, and then it turns out that it's sort of in an unresolved plot point. The entire motivation for every goddamn thing in this book is because the Shipstones company is having like an internal revolt or something. Yeah, it, yeah, it's an internal internal fight in the in the Shipstone companies. They own all the credit cards. They all own all the credit cards and banks. They right? own Coca Cola. <laughs> they own they own the the ship they're on uh, at the end. They own pretty much everything, um, and this is a good thing. Well, at first he seems to sort of argue that way, and that's the thing about Heinlein is you know people people will say you know Heinlein's a really smart guy. He argues in favor of it, and sometimes he's arguing in favor of it, and sometimes, sometimes I, I think, think he's doing the opposite. He's making a uh, hmm an argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but by time by time. Uh, yeah, the guy in the ship explains, oh, yeah, it was an intramural food fight between different pieces of the ship's own corporation. <laughs> it's clear that Heinlein's saying, no, this is terrible. This this whole uh, ship's own controlling uh, the world is a terrible thing. They remind you a revolution in store energy storage is something that our planet needs and i wouldn't mind having ship stones but having ship stone as the not so benevolent inter, inter internally conflicted uh world master yeah i could live without that it's almost like it's an analogy for the oil industry or something oh right? yes yeah it, it doesn't quite work. Um, I don't think anything quite works as an analogy when you're doing Heinlein because he is he's basically just interested in, in that intersection between technology and uh, society in, in a large sense. I mean, that article I, pointed, I keep pointing back to, um, it, it points out that, yeah, Heinlein had women protagonists very early on when nobody else did. And his uh, one analysis of why that line or serial or whatever X S S groups marriage is what uh, what's it about is it's freeing women up to work, and that kind of makes sense. Um, our main character's sterile, right? Um, and then has one baby that's not even her own. And then what is she at the end of? We find out this super hyper awesome courier who, by the way, can run thirty kilometers an hour. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I worked it out doing the math at the end there um, and, you know, can break uh, people's arms or whatever with a twist of her finger. Um, she She's a housewife. Yeah. All she yeah. wants to do is roll around on the floor with babies and kittens. And that's not the second time. That's, that's not the second time that that happens throughout this novel. Mm-hmm. It's the manyth time because, first of all, that's what she does whenever she's on vacation uh, from her courier job at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Then she settles down with Goldie as kind of a lesbian uh, couple 
in Las Vegas. Um, and she calls it like a, a honeymoon house or something like that. Yeah. Um, and she's Goldie's, uh, I don't know, housewife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's got this huge tension between um, women uh, work at home and they do the housewife and that's really awesome. And I want to be a woman and I want to be a housewife. Oh, but I also want to be a, a world traveling man who has all sorts of expertise and right – so there, all those contradictions are inside of Heinlein, and they come out at various points on the page. So I don't, I don't know what to make of this guy, other than he's very interesting. Yeah. And and when he talks about stuff like why is he sterile and why is there only that one birth thing? Well, one thing to know about Heinlein, he had a couple of marriages. His first one didn't last very long. His second one lasted a long time, and neither of them produced any children. Yeah. Apparently, that was a big issue for him. He wanted kids, or oh, okay. yeah. his wife wanted kids. No kids were produced. Um, what's he produced instead? Lots of books about people wanting lots of kids and kittens to roll around with and change diapers. Oh wow! It, it's it's kind of sad. Uh huh. Oh, right, right. What you know or what you want, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing this novel I mentioned before reminded, reminded me of. Me of was, um, was um, the fact that Holt Island was a gold bug. Yes. Because he's, he, was. he was obsessed with, you know, gold as a stable currency. Gold is the best currency. Uh, I didn't realize this. I mean, I first came across this uh, when reading the Collection Expanded Universe, where there's a story about a happy, where, where he has this like quasi nonfiction, quasi fictional story where a, uh, president dies is the black female vice president becomes president and makes America great again <laughs> doing among other things tearing down the fence between Mexico and the US which 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 is really interesting in this day and age and putting us back on the gold standard hmm. yeah, there's a whole bunch of other things that happen in in in, in this little non-fictional fictional story it's it's it's, it's in its collection and then I was reminded because he seems obsessed. Friday seems obsessed with getting paid to gold in this book. Oh, that's right. Kindle is a gold bug. I forgot. I remember that, but I forgot it. Now it's back again. It's like gold is yeah. gold is gold. Gold is not anything more special than well. The uh, you're right, Paul. Gold is uh, the gold bug thing. I mean, it's still in society today. Uh, what what's that? Uh, the guy who used to be on Fox News, um, he, he's always promoting gold. He's got his own show now. I don't old channel. They're all the, all the sort of whack job right wing nut jobs are, yeah. are pushing gold hard. Hmm. Um, but there's a re- there's kind of a reason for it, um, especially with Heinlein at the time. The United States coming off the gold standard. Yeah. Um, is it. It's a scary idea because countries that came off the gold standard uh, went to shit. Um, and that's kind of his thesis for why Earth is going bad. Not because of the gold standard, but um, I, uh, this is a point I was going to make a while ago. Is the worst thing in the world you can do if you're a Heinlein uh, character is be impolite. Politeness is society. It's yeah. basically his thesis, right? And that's the conclusion that uh, our heroine comes to when she spends all her time on the internet which is pretty funny because 
uh, internet is not always a polite place. <laughs> well, in Heimlein's world, yeah, there's there are no flame worlds wars in her in his in his in internet. It's a nice peaceful place where you get information and books and and did you notice uh, the tension between paper books and real books? Yeah, it's not really relevant to this day and age. It, it was kind of ridiculous, but uh, I mean, he's doing pretty good for a guy who uh, didn't. I mean, he had the internet, I guess the internet existed, but he did not have the web, and that's what he was describing mostly. Is basically access to uh, basically Google image scans of every every book and every library mm-hmm. around the world, and that is the other thing that was crazy about that uh, his version of the internet is nobody knew about it, right? Um, nobody knew, about, nobody ever talked about it until that one character finally did, um, and then it's for pay, right? Every website you go to, you have to pay. And I'm really glad that's not the internet we got because I don't think we would have got the internet. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm really glad that's not the web we got because I don't think we would have got the web. If, no, we wouldn't have. If it had been that way. We'd have walled gardens everywhere. I mean, it's kind of why, uh, you know, those SOPA and PIPA and all those uh, horrible uh, non-net neutrality um, things are so bad is because they would basically destroy what is so great which is a free and open internet that allows you to do whatever you want. And I mean, the way the enthusiasm that Friday expression expresses uh, for the internet, it almost seemed like Heinlein got on the internet, (laughs) got on the web because he was saying, or his character was saying, you know, this is the greatest education ever. Uh, You know, it's going to change everything. Mm -hmm. I can learn everything, and it's like that's exactly what it is, right? You have no excuse today for not knowing everything. That's my <laughs> my, my interpretation. That's a because, that's a lot of things to know, JC. <laughs> oh, I know. I I mean, I, I spend a lot of time on Wikipedia every day. Yeah, and it th- takes me all sorts of places, but yeah, I, I'm never going to get it all done. Yeah, I think that is the only excuse. Actually, it's a t- the time investment. Totally. Yeah. It's I'm always t- thinking like people should know what they don't know. That's that takes a lot less time. <laughs> <laughs> Just figure out what you don't know and then don't talk about it. <laughs> well, that, that, that's my technique though too, right? Is to oh, are we? Did we get Misa back? Yes, but with a different, with a worse microphone. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, uh, did, did you hear our our last uh, little bit? I heard most of it. I think. Okay. Good. If you have something to to say, throw throw it out. I, I just I think it's wonderful now that whenever I it used to be before, right? I'd have to learn a lot of stuff about the world by reading Heinlein novels, and it, it gives you a distorted <laughs> wow. perspective. Slightly distorted perspective about reality. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're a survivor then. <laughs> you made it through that education. <laughs> but now, I mean, really, it's so great because. Anytime there's a word I don't know or a, um, a, a concept I hadn't heard of or whatever it yeah. is. Like uh, just the other day, I, I was looking at uh, Nave, K-N-A-V-E, right? Yep. It was in some play or something. And um, I was like, oh, that's a weird word. And so I looked it up. And then if one of my favorite techniques is you just type in the word and then hit images on Google, mm-hmm. and that sort of gives you a sense of what you're looking at. One thing that kept coming up was 
there was a guy running away with a pie. And I'm like, why is that guy running away with a pie? <laughs> you scurrilous knave, you. <laughs> That's right. And, well, it's from a little rhyme, right? That goes, um, the queen of hearts, she made her tarts, blah, 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 blah. And, I, like, I had known that at some point in time, but I had lost that connection. Hmm. That's That would have been virtually impossible. Yeah. Uh, in the time that Heinlein wrote this novel, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I learned learned I, I learned the word clack, C L A Q U E the other day, because huh. somebody was talking about people who are paid to a clap and applaud a performance, and they're, and then they're, they're called clacks, and they, that this was brought in line with a certain president of a certain country who apparently <laughs> had brought people to a CIA uh, meeting to applaud everything he said. They were. And so we say, oh yeah, these, these people are clacks. Like I, I can Google, like oh, that's what a clack is. It, well, I, I googled two, uh, two what a slitch is. Book. Oh, sorry. So there were two words from this book that I had to do that with. Um, stylite. Oh yes, oh, no. yeah, yeah. 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 Friday even herself says, like I have to look up what this <laughs> yeah. is. That's why I had to. I was like, okay, if she doesn't know it, neither do I. Uh, <laughs> to do with the rape, but. Um, the other one was particularism. When they're talking about, um, he's, they, they say it's a, it's a bad sign when people in a country stop identifying themselves with a country and start identifying themselves with a group, a radical right. group religion. Um, very bad sign, particularism, which, which I thought was very, like, there were some things that were very relevant in this book for mm. right this second. Oh, yeah, that's a great word. Yeah. It is very appropriate. And relevant, yeah. Yeah, like I, America I, for I, Americans. Yep. It's, uh, but also, you know, like California breaking away, entirely possible, right? Mm-hmm. Entirely possible if, if things go a certain direction. Um, you know, Texas is always grumbling about breaking away. I, um, I, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble with, um, with one of our listeners again, but it's one, it's one of the later two. It's, I don't know if it's cat or sale where we see this world again, but like a few decades earlier in this novel and the world that United States is ready to break up. I don't right. remember which book it is, but there's a scene you know, where, where, where there's no, so, Oh yeah, they've declared secession. They declared they, they, they seceded. I don't remember which book it is, but it's definitely supposed to be, it's like, it's one of the world jumping ones he has. And, and yeah, and the character knows it. And it's like, oh, and that's where he is in this timeline. So that would make the third book that has a, has takes place in this future balkanized world US shipstone universe, I guess. But I don't remember which one I'd have to I'd have to go Googling deep into this. Um I'm speaking of multiverse and speaking of and you speaking before of cruises, the, the Heinlein book I really liked more than this one back when I read it. And now I'm afraid to reread it because after rereading this, <laughs> but I kinda almost kinda want to is uh is Job. Have you read it? Comedy of Justice. Yes. Yeah, I do think I read it. I th- I think I read everything Heinlein ever ever put to pencil. Yeah. But um, I, I don't remember it that well. I I I I, I kind of like maybe I should reread this. Cause like maybe I shouldn't. And like my have my happy memories of the book because I yeah. remember liking it. I have a feeling. Time. I have a feeling it's not one of his greatest. Yeah, I I'm feeling the suck fairy would hit me hard if I tried to reread it, and maybe I shouldn't. What's the just basic premise of that one? Uh, basic premise is um, a minister from a alternate 
also to us U.S. where um, the moral majority takes control, takes a cruise to the South Seas and accidentally gets transported into another another U.S. and starts going flipping through different U.S.s trying to get oh, back wow. home. He falls in love, even though he's married. Um, he, 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 yeah, he eventually there's eventually a rapture. He goes to heaven, but he finds out the girl he loves didn't go to heaven, so he thinks she went to. And so she, he winds up trying to find her and goes wow. also. Yeah, it's 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 an inter- I I thought it was interesting at the time. I don't know how the suck Mary would feel without now. I yeah. I don't think there was as much that's sex a- as this one, but then again, that's a low bar. Yeah, that's why I asked you guys because so many of the reviews online there seem to be a lot of people who read this when they were teenagers, or a lot of mm-hmm. dudes who read this when they were teenagers who thought it was yep. amazing. And then they uh, read it again when they're like dads, and they're like, "Oh God, yeah. <laughs> this is problematic." I, I got uh, I got the quote here: "The Queen of Hearts, she made some tarts all on a summer's day. The Knave of Hearts, he stole those tarts and he took them clean away. The King of Hearts called for the tarts and beat the Knave full sore. The Knave of Hearts brought back the tarts and vowed he'd steal no more." Hmm. Um, oh. The reason I knew that is it's mother. It's in Mother Goose. Uh, if you guys know what Mother Goose yeah. is, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, it's like these things are buried deep in your psychology, subconscious. It's so easy to get stuff now. It's so amazing, and that enthusiasm. I mean, I I think it was worth reading this book just to see that again because it's so easy not to appreciate what we have. Yeah, uh, it's it's the web and internet and I, I I pity all the fools of today who are born with the internet and the web because they don't know what it was like before. Yeah, it was like to get information in 1985. You had to go to the library and ask librarians and look in reference books and mm-hmm. and trudge around. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and and I mean literally, they just don't have all the stuff, right? No matter how deep your library goes, they literally do not have all the stuff. Now I can I can get access to stuff that was it, it is not in was never in any library, right? It's amazing that's uh, the depths that are out there. I mean, we were talking about we've been talking, uh, Marissa, Jesse, and I about in, in the course of the Philip K. Dick novels, all this all the weird stuff he finds and puts it in his novels because he just he read about it. It's like he didn't even have the web and only got this tiny keyhole look at the vast world of information out there and. Imagine what he had if he had the web at his head, at, at his uh, disposal. Mm-hmm. It would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, there is a novel that uh, I fondly remember, like Paul did, uh, of Heinlein's that I don't think I would recommend anybody read, but I kind of want to anyway. Uh, which one, Jesse? <laughs> uh, the Number of the Beast. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Published in 1980. I'm thinking, yeah, no, Jesse. No, Jesse. <laughs> Tell so, us what it is. it's just so off the rails. Is it, it? It's you know, if you think this one's off the rails, that one's even worse. <laughs> the book is a series of diary entries by each of the four main characters: Zebediah John Carter, programmer Deja Thoris D.T. Burroughs Carter, her mathematics professor Father Jacob Burroughs, and an off-campus socialite Hilda Corners. The names Deja Thoris, Burroughs, and Carter are overt references to John Carter and Deja Thoris, the protagonists of the Barsoom novels by Edgar Rice Burroughs. The four travel in Zebediah's modified air car, Gay Deceiver, that's the name of the, <laughs> their air car, which is equipped with a, 
the professor's Continua device and armed with the Australian defense, armed by the Australian Defense Force. The Continua device was built by Professor Burroughs while he was formulating his series on n-dimensional non-Euclidean geometry. The geometry of the novel's universe contains six dimensions, the three spatial dimensions known to the real world and three time dimensions. Uh, T, the real world's temporal dimensions, tau, uh, and M, uh, te. The continued device can travel on all six axes. The continued device allows travel in various fictional universes, such as the Land of Oz, Mm -hmm. as well as through time. An attempt to visit Barsoom takes them to an apparently different version of Mars, seemingly under the colonial rule of British and Russian empires. But near the end of the novel, Heinlein's recurring character, Lazarus Long, hints that they have traveled to Barsoom, and that its colonial status was an illusion imposed on them telepathically by adept Barsoomians. Wow. <laughs> That's a very strange summary. Of it. It, it, I mean, it's all accurate, but yeah, it, it, that, that was... That novel goes so off the rails so it, badly. It's really off the rails. Like, huh. if you sat down and said, I'm going to publish this, you say, uh, uh, forget about that editing stuff because there's no way to fix this. Huh. Is it an earlier or a late novel of his? It's uh, 80. It's so, 80. Oh, okay. So still recovering from the stroke. Yeah, it was a couple of years after that stroke, so oh. a couple of years before Friday, which is a couple of years before Job. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but then uh, the guy who walked through walls and uh, the cell beyond the sunset. Those are the last two uh, Heinlein novels. Are do use that device from the number of the beast and some of the characters. But mm-hmm. yeah, he, he he's kind of um, you know that thing about incest that he always has. He kind of has that with his own stuff as well, right? Like the, the he can't help but reuse and mention characters from you know a novella from nineteen forty nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, in I mean, a certain sense. I mean, I mean, I, 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 I appreciate callbacks, but it's almost like you're mining your old st- own stuff just to keep going forward, and that would mean then if I'm, well, I don't think there's anything in Job that actually mines something earlier. Uh, uh, probably does. Probably it does. I'm just probably haven't seen it. I've just oh, yeah, I haven't read it so long. I just you know, I just didn't didn't catch the uh, catch the reference, but yeah, but. After I Will Fear No Evil, I'm trying to think of another Heinlein novel that doesn't explicitly mind stuff. Remember, the Beast does, this does. They're all set in that fictional uh, the future history, right, that he came up with. So, yeah, so. There's nothing that doesn't fit into it, actually, is the idea, right? But, yeah. It's usually I enjoy that. Like, I quite like when authors kind of have a certain universe that they play in and. You notice that PKD does the opposite. He almost never goes back to the well. Yeah. He always re- reinvents everything. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes I'm looking, I'm trying to find the little patterns and stuff, and it's just futile. He'll, like, they don't he'll like use, like, time. the names of things again, the wubs or whatever. Yeah, the wubs, the totally conaps. Yeah. But that's not, it, it, they're not the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the same world. Like, I love how um, Caldwell Smith does it. Mm. Oh, they're in Australia, yeah. Yeah, I love reading the stories yeah. in that universe. They all. It's like having a series novel without being a series, right? Mm-hmm. Just all hangs together in a certain way. Yeah. But I think at some point somebody's hanging themselves in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, they they divide Heinlein up into uh, the three stages, right? His early novels, his middle novels, 
and then his late novels. And everybody agrees his late novels are 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 terrible. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. Mm, me too. So he just changed his writing style in these three I think stages. It's 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 kind of like he was successful. Everything sold that he wrote. Um, there wasn't a lot of rewriting, and also he'd had a stroke or whatever. Yeah. Um, they, uh, this is a long book, right? It, I don't know how long it was, but it took a long time to finish it. Yeah, I think it was like 16 hours on the audiobook. Yeah. It was long. Pretty yeah. crazy long. Mm-hmm. Amongst these older things, the only other one I think that's readable is The Cat Who Walks Through Walls, which also is a callback to one of his first stories or first novels anyways. Um, which one is that? Uh, Beyond This Horizon or something like that? No, no, no. That, that That's... Catwalk Soul is basically a sequel to Number of the Beast. Oh, no, The Door into Summer. That's what yeah, yeah. it is. Right? Because the cat who walks through walls oh. walks through walls. I mean, the title. Oh, yeah. Know. Right, yes. Um, that's uh, Eric Rabkin says, you know, this is the sign of the amazing... Well, I'm reading... One of the things he points to about Heinlein that Heinlein did, did almost better than anybody else was... He shows the effect of being in the future um, in kind of ridiculous ways that puts you right into that world, which is walls don't have doors in them. Walls dilate open, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where that title comes, The Cat Who Walks Through Walls. Um, It's introduced in the first page of The Door into Summer, a 1957 novel. That's right. And those we've got this sort of the threads of, of women... Um, I kind of want to be one. I also, I also love them, and I want children. Those are all threads. And cats, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's uh, and you know, he's got sort of. Um, this is with the. Um, uh, and Mice, you should remember. Oh, were you weren't? Did you read our uh, book for um, the invasion of Earth novel? Puppet Masters? I did read Puppet Masters, yeah. So and you remember that one, we've got an old man character, the boss. I, I felt like this was kind of a similar organization, if not identical organization, right? There's a boss um, with a bunch of agents, mm-hmm. and they're solving mysteries, sort of, but you don't know who they work for, <laughs> what agent branch of the government, yeah. if this it's a government. more nefarious. Yeah. Wasn't that bizarre that the like I thought the boss is going to come back that he just dies. I did too. Yeah. It's like he's he's writing this novel with a pair of dice and every time he throws the dice, oh okay, that's going to happen, whatever. Oh, he just keeps going. Or writing it with the I Ching. Yeah, I mean, it did feel like that. But Dick Dick always manages to sort of make it work somehow, whereas here it just seems like it's completely random. Mm-hmm. And the, the only. The only reality to it is uh, the character saying, "Yep, this is what's happening now." Yeah, it's but, almost like the reverse of there was like those weird coincidences just to make stuff happen in the story, and then there was weird things like that where part of the story just falls away randomly. Totally. <laughs> and it's like uh, the dungeon master in this case playing yes. this adventure. He's like, uh, I don't have a lot of tricks, but. Uh, I got a few, and and the and the character who's playing the game is like, I really I really love spending time uh, in a in a family where everybody has sex together all the time, and and we have kittens. Yeah, 
That's true. You could totally read this as a pick a path book almost and just like end up in different <laughs> families or different. <laughs> if you go to New Zealand, turn to page seven. If you decide yeah. to head to Winnipeg, go to page 91. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> because the plot makes that much sense, right? Mm-hmm. On the whole, I still enjoyed it. I did too. <laughs> I that was I weird. That. I, was like, I can't believe I say it when, with all I, that. Yeah. Rape. rape craziness that's going on well i really enjoyed the um the writing style like just her voice and the dialogue and the banter like and i maybe the narrator really helped that as well i think she was really good she was good yeah hillary huber is the one i heard uh-huh. uh, did you guys all hear the same one yes yeah, i think I so is that the blackstone yeah 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 i think there was a i it, it, I there was think a, there was a male narrated version as well, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, because you, yeah, because I listened to a sample of that. Like, no, I don't want to yeah. listen to that. And then I listened to her. Like, okay, this I can listen to this. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely fun to listen to. It just felt long and meandering. And what did you think, Isa? Well, I I wouldn't say that I liked it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but well, it, surprise. It did clip along, and um, and it, it it was fun in in places, and it and it you know it brought up some interesting questions, like the thing about what is an artificial person. Like, I didn't think that she was an artificial person particularly. No. Um, mm. But but you know, but then you get to think about that. You know, like when when Data says, "If you prick me, do I not leak?" Okay, there's an artificial person. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but then but because like right now recently we've had people born of three parents right mm. like that's a thing that's happening now she is she is really a future person mm-hmm. you know like where are we going to draw the line so so you you have to say okay are are we afraid are we calling people artificial like in this book are we calling her artificial because we're afraid of her because she's she can do more or better than us, or they're going to take over from us because she's not. Mm. And so, so it got, I got to question that sort of thing. Yeah. I was thinking that too. It was reminding me a little bit of the, um, the GMO fruit versus organic fruit thing. I'm just yep. like, I was thinking about that too. You know, yeah. fruit has fish in it. Okay. Is it still a fruit? Yeah. It it's like fruit. slightly better or like, you know, but people are like, Oh, it's artificial. It's not right, but it's huh. still a fruit. It is. Yeah, it's just as natural. Uh, people been people been uh, fucking with fruit forever. You know, there's no apples that aren't like uh, the way apples work is they're always trying to. Uh, I, I know this because I read the internet. Um, apples <laughs> are always trying to um, reproduce themselves by crossbreeding, right? Because mm-hmm. they're do that? like. They're beings, they're right? They're reaching they're, over from each other's trees. I'm yeah. green like you, like that. And everybody uh, thinks, oh, that's great. We'll plant it at an apple tree by planting seed. No apple trees that are around anywhere on the earth that are harvested are the kind of tree you would want to eat apples from. They're all like grafts, so they... They take a branch off of another tree and then they stick it on a root of a of an apple tree. Really? And then, yeah, because we want very regular kind of apples, and they're always developing new ones. But most mm-hmm. of them are terrible. So we've been fucking with fruit forever. You know that bananas, you have to plant a new banana every 
banana tree dies. It makes a bunch of bananas, and that's the end for that tree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huh. Or like like corn. The original form of corn is like a couple inches long little piece of grain. We've been breeding corn to be something edible. Actually, actually the the, uh, the Aztecs and Mayans were doing it a couple thousand years ago. So it's taken a long time to get to the corn that you see uh, in the field today. You have finally pointed to the place where they've gone too far. Corn is in fucking everything. <laughs> well, corn syrup, corn syrup, yes, yes. But the United States is so heavily subsidized in corn um, that you literally, they have to say pure cane sugar on the outside of anything that doesn't have yeah. corn in it. It's it, They were doing some analysis of of people's DNA, and they could track how much this, like your eighty percent corn. <laughs> corn, the corn. So we're children of the corn. <laughs> Seriously. Did you notice as well yeah. in this book um, the enhanced dog that yes. just casually walks through yeah. a scene talking? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's one of the few artifacts that we we see. Right. Yeah, we talk about them, but we don't see many of them. That yeah. dog is one of them. They, yeah. they talk about cobalt miners and a couple other things, but we don't actually see them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I also wanted to point out that uh, that Charles Strauss novel. Oh, Saturn's Children. Right. For anybody who hasn't uh, read it, um, I've read it. And it is, uh, it's actually, I've read it, you know, I read this Friday uh, 27 years ago. Um, and I remembered it pretty well. I, I Other than that he ends up, she ends up with, rapist at the yeah. end. Remember that part exactly. Um, and then uh, I re- remembered it for reading Saturn's Children but, um, and I I kind of enjoyed Saturn's Children as well. It's, it's, it's but in rereading this, I realized it was incredibly faithful to certain weird Heinlein things because one of the things that's going on in that book, that's really what, what's so cool about it, is it's a legit artificial person, right? Um, the main character is a robot um, that looks like a person, and there's lots of uh, quote unquote living artifacts in in the novel, but there's no biological creatures at all. They're all right. Uh, it's all post robots. Yeah, it's all it's post humanity, as I recall. Right, and and that's that's kind of cool. And all the illegitimate worries that um, Friday has about, oh, I'm an artificial person, I'm not worthy, I'm a slave, um, it's okay if you rape me, or whatever it is. <laughs> that's a great, um, great voice, too. <laughs> uh, um, all of those insecurities uh, are programmed into um, this robot main character. Uh, she, she's a, she was designed to be a sex slave robot, but there's no humans to have sex with. But the idea is that if, in, if at any time um, a human were to present themselves, she would treat that person as her Romeo, right? Right, her her Juliet, and every devotion, every possible devotion would be focused on that person as a built-in programming. And in that, in a certain sense, it's a, it's kind of a a romp novel, which doesn't make a lot of sense given that everybody's dead. <laughs> but on the other hand, it, it, he's uh, Strauss is kind of dealing with the same issue in a much um, uh, more advanced way than Heinlein does, because Heinlein's you know it's his first gloss; it's straight out of his psych subconscious uh, and onto the page. Charles Strauss is not 
Heinlein, but he read Heinlein like everybody did and did something with it that is, it's not exactly a tribute, but it's, it's an, a certain, maybe an homage within that thing. And it's, it's kind of interesting. In addition, there is a short story I I did on reading short and deep, um, by Brian Aldiss, um, trying to remember the name of it. Who can replace a man? Who can replace yes, a man? Yes, I remember and that Alts. story. Oh, God, yes, with the, with the killer ending. Yes, Master That's, said the machines immediately. Right. So the premise of that is all the humans have died off because we've overexploited the Earth and planted too much corn. <laughs> <laughs> no. no corn is not figuring this novel, listeners. And the main character oh. is a field minder. His job it is to plant corn or whatever. Um, and he can't plant corn because there's no seed, because the seed bank hasn't been unlocked, because the unlocker robot didn't receive any orders. And it goes all up and down the line. And uh, ultimately, the robots discover that there are no humans masters left. And they go off on a quest, and it's very poignant. And they're going to find a new land to live in. And then they come across a cave with a human still in it. Um, and they're all sort of looming scarily above this human as if just earlier in the story, uh, a robot had squished another robot. They're just about to sort of bring down the hammer on this human, you know, because they're so horrible, these humans. And the human says, bring me food. And then all the robots instantly go about obeying. (laughs) Yep. Wow. What's this one called again? called who will replace a man oh, who can replace a man who can replace a man and it's public domain available on the pdf page so yeah it, it, it's it's a great story um this 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 theme also reminds me of uh ian Tregellis's alchemy wars novels where the first novel is the, the mechanical the second is the rising and the third which came out a few months ago is the liberation which is basically alton history where in the 17th century the dutch invent by alchemy, uh, mechanical warrior robots and decide to start conquering Europe. Uh, mm. the, the, the plot revolves around Jax, who's a robot who decides, I don't want to do this. I want to be free. I don't want to be a slave. And it's basically his story trying to uh, sort break away from uh, his programming and what he's been created for and find a world, find a, find a place for himself. And place for his other people basically it's it's kind of, it almost like spartacus in some ways hmm. so yeah it, it, it's really intrigalus this stuff is really good and i really recommend the series did anybody notice at the very end um because she has this whole you know thing about i'm not good enough and i'm not you know mm-hmm. and, then, and then at the very end when she's on the um the new planet and Botany like, Bay, which I thought was Botany Bay, when she's on Botany Bay and she's reflecting over her life and she says, there is a destiny that shape our, shapes our ends. <laughs> you yeah, know what that's from? Um, it's from, no. it's an allusion to Hamlet where he says, uh-huh. there's a divinity that shapes our ends, roughly and how we will. So her whole time about, do I have a soul? Am I human? I think she's answering her question. Huh. Hamlet, I didn't catch that. That's really. I didn't catch that. That's fine. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.
you guys got to check this out. It's awesome. I, I every once in a while I run out of audio dramas to listen to because I just listen to them over and over again as I, right before I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of in a dearth right now, or no, maybe dearth means the opposite. I have to look it up. In any case, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't have a lot of audio drama to listen to right now. So I I I sort of sitting in bed waiting for my mind to tell me of something I can look up on the on my phone so I can get three seconds of audio drama before I fall asleep. But I can't fall asleep unless I listen to an audio drama. So <clears throat> I remembered one, and I bet it's one you guys have never heard, and it's awesome. Um, it's called Bold Venture. Bold Venture. And it sounds like it would be not very interesting, just from the title. It's an old OTR, and it stars uh, Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. Um, and it's like 57 episodes long. Wow. I know. And it's a like 20, 25 minute show where he is the owner of a uh, hotel slash boat in Havana. And she is his uh, girlfriend slash uh, ward. <laughs> um, and they get into trouble. The plots are no great shakes. They're just sort of standard plots. But if you want to know why Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall are movie stars, just listen to them talk back and forth, a little, ban- a little bit of banter. It's so good. Where did you get it? It's on archive.org. So just type in archive.org. Archive.org. And, okay. And uh, old venture, and it'll come right up. Oh, yeah. Um, so good. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Really good one. stuff. Um, I've never heard of this. I know. Not, I, you know, there's lots of OTR. Everybody's heard some. Old Venture? Old Venture. <laughs> I, 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 found, oh, I found it under Bold Venture, not Old Venture. No, it's Bold, as in... Oh, I thought you said Old. Be bold. No. Old no. Venture. Oh, Bold Venture. Bold Venture. <laughs>